There it is. It is Wednesday. It is the last show of the week, and we're super excited. We're going to talk polyamorous parenting. We're going to talk boundaries. We're going to talk consent. We're going to talk all kinds of things because our guest is super fun. We're just going to dive in. Let's go. Let's have a good time. Practicing polyamory. Real life perspectives from the imperfect people of polyamory. The mission of the Practicing Polyamory podcast is to provide a platform for all of the real-life, flawed humans that practice polyamory so that we might all learn from one another and grow as a community. Enjoy the show. All right, all right, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this beautiful Wednesday. Before we jump in and chat with today's guest, I want to quickly remind everybody that we're doing three, three live shows every week. So there's a lot of opportunity to ask questions. If you have questions about your relationships or if there's a topic you'd like to hear discussed on the show, slide into my DMs or comment while we're live. Follow the show on all social media platforms at Practicing Poly A. Let me know what you want us to talk about. And as always, I want to remind you, if you're listening to this podcast, you are a welcome guest to be on the show. We are here to share our imperfect stories, and I want to get as many voices as possible to speak here because I know that the more stories we hear, the more others will see us in themselves, and the more representation we have, the more we can strengthen our community. So go to practicingpolyamory.com and sign up today. All right, that is my spiel. And now, ladies and gentle thems, on to the best part of the show, introducing our guest. Today's guest is an American expat living and working in Australia. Anyone else here jealous? I know I am. And running a therapy practice that focuses on supporting nonconformists. You know, us. Polyam folks, kinksters, sex workers, LGBTQ, all of us can find safety and understanding with our guest whose passion is to support the diversity of the human experience. By helping people learn to understand one another and exploring the power of vulnerability, our guest facilitates effective, honest communication among polycules to help foster community, manage businesses, and build lasting, joyful relationships. Our guest wrote her master's thesis on polyamorous parenting, and she regularly leads workshops on boundaries, consent, and body image. So let's see what we can uncover today and what gems we can find. Joining us from Spectra Counseling out of Melbourne, Australia, welcome to the show, Jenna Trosso. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I wish I got an intro like that. All the time. You should always get an intro like that. If people aren't introducing you like that at every event and panel that you're uh, speaking at, then then I I don't know. They gotta hire me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm for sale. I'm for sale. Uh, Jenna, right. thank you, thank you so much for hanging out with me today, spending some time with me on the show. Uh, let's dive right in. Tell us, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Um, who are you? What took you to Australia? And why focus on helping the polyamorous community? Yeah. Um, so I have been polyamorous either seven years or my whole life, depending on how you think of polyamory like when I look okay. back on my journals and stuff when I was a kid I would say that I had to crush on like three or four people at once and I would like I always thought that I had to choose um mm -hmm. but it was it was kind of unnatural for me to do so um like I fell in love with two best friends in college and I couldn't kind of figure out why we couldn't all make it work but uh, I ended up losing that entire 
friendship group because they were like, no, 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 you know, you're not allowed to to be with both of us. And it was, it broke my heart. Um, mm. Actually kind of ended up traveling because I didn't have that friendship group anymore. And then ended up uh, the, when the economy crashed in 2008, uh, I ended up working for my cousin in Japan and met all these Australians who convinced me to come visit here. And then I never left. And <laughs> <laughs> I fell in love. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I, I ended up uh, getting sponsored to stay in the country. And then I nice. started uh, exploring um, being open and uh I think I read Sex at Dawn okay. and um, and it clicked that like, oh, okay, there are ways to actually be ethical and, and like there's, there's actually people who experience um, attraction to multiple people and aren't ashamed of it. And I'd like to explore that. And so I started to explore that uh, with partners and, you know, definitely made some mistakes myself and had some pretty uh, volatile relationships for a while. Um, We've all been there. <laughs> We've all yeah. been there. We've all been there. Yeah. Um, but I ended up getting my master's over here uh, and deciding that I wanted to support people in communication. Um, I was an environmental studies major in college and uh, thought that I was going to you know, save the world and then realized that people can't care about the environment when they don't care about themselves. And so mm. I went into therapy because I thought that you know helping people communicate and, and care about themselves uh, was the way to save the world, <laughs> which is probably really idealistic. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it might not be saving the whole world for everybody, but you, you might yeah. be saving the world for one person at a time. And, you know, that's that's powerful, meaningful work. So uh, yeah. and especially the fact that you are aware of affirming of uh, polyam, kinksters, non-monogamy, all of these things, because that is, you know, on this show, I talk to a lot of therapists and other professionals who are all aware and affirming of polyamory yeah. but it's not the norm out in you know the therapy industry like it's it's a pretty yeah. small percentage right a lot of the people that i see have had um really troubling experiences with their uh with their therapists in the past um and like i would say probably the majority of people who come to see me have some sort of story about uh, telling a, a person that they were polyamorous and having that person either try to tell them that, you know, it's just because of their daddy issues or mm -hmm. it's just because, you know, uh, they don't know how to love and, and just that kind of shaming and um, th their recovery process is, is really awful. That, you know, like to, to open yourself up to a professional and have that professional judge you is just like, it, it's, it's, it's really hard for most people. I totally agree and you you actually you have something um that i know we talked about uh before before we started here if somebody is discovering that they are polyamorous you actually have some kind of a support group or a page or something I, like I that do a panel. um so we i started running a panel in melbourne um called i think i might be polyamorous now what um and it's a group of people that i know uh and it's it's expanded since then there's some people who i've actually never met who participate in it but um it's it, it used to go every two months and then COVID happened so it hasn't uh, happened for a while but i do plan on putting it on uh online again uh and it's just a group of people who are talking about you know what they've learned from polyamory what they think monogamous people have to learn from polyamory um mistakes that they've made so that other people can learn from them um and it's just like it's a two and a half hour panel of people talking about you know what they like what they don't like mistakes they've made um and how 
people can come kind of recognize themselves in, in their stories, mm-hmm, much mm-hmm. like what you're doing. Yeah, I mean that. I, I feel like that's uh, the the best way to find the community. I mean, the internet has has just opened it up so much. Um, yeah. I interview people sometimes who have been polyamorous for twenty plus years, and twenty years ago we didn't have any of the resources that we have now. So it's it's yeah. huge to be able to to um, promote these communities. And this community is, uh, you know, in the before times, y'all were meeting in person. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was just for Melbourne. There's like, there's a pretty thriving polyamorous community in Melbourne. I'm pretty lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like a, a group called uh, Polyvic that does discussion groups. And I actually met my nesting partner uh, through us co-facilitating uh, those, those nice. discussion groups. And so, uh, and then there's also like uh, poly meetups and, you know, dating events and stuff. Um, but there's like all sorts of different things that you can go to and experience polyamorous folks, you know, just if, if you want to be friends and just have people to, to talk to, or if you want to date, there's there's a really vibrant scene here. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I definitely wanted to highlight it. The majority of my guests are uh, based here in the States. And so to have a resource for polyam folks in Australia, like this is, this is a really, really great uh, opportunity to, you know, be able to build that community in in a more localized place um let's talk a little bit more about these other workshops that you do um so so we have the one i think i might be polyamorous now what very intro to polyamory it sounds like you know uh probably don't get into you know what to look for from your therapist right (laughs) (laughs) but but we got that we got that covered uh what are some of the other workshops that you are doing uh, I like, I run a, a workshop called The Enthusiastic Yes. It's a consent and boundaries workshop. Oh, um, okay. Really talks about uh, the gray areas and why people miss signals and, and why we find it so hard to say no and, and why it's so important to to get that enthusiasm and um, mm-hmm. and uh, proactive consent. Um, not mm-hmm. not just in, in, you know, sexual spaces, but kind of in, in all of our life, like, when I lead it in person, you know, when I greet people, I'm like, so are you a hugger? Are you a handshaker? Are you a waver? Like, how do you like to greet people? Because I'm a hugger. I love to hug. But, you know, if, if somebody else is not, uh, I don't want to impose on their boundaries from the get go. Um, so just it, it's about uh, teaching people um, about why everything goes wrong and, and why, you know, that yes is so important and uh, really trying to softly uh, make consent exciting <laughs> i mean I, I think it is <laughs> personally right uh, yeah but the number of people who are like oh you know you you can't ask for a kiss i'm like you can if you're like hey i would really enjoy kissing you right now um but only if you want it is that something that you want because you gotta let me know like i see i see i think that's sexy but like people are like oh no you can't ask to kiss somebody and it's like well actually you can you just gotta play with it so so uh, i I'm just thinking in my head of like the things that I've done, right? I I'm I'm like the most hopeless romantic, you know. That was me growing up listening to all of the love songs, like "Give Me Some Boys to Men" and some Casey and JoJo, like you know, all all of the the the, the most romantic love songs. Like that was me, right? And so there was always the pressure, and I learned this word recently amatonormativity which is like the romantic pressures anyway so there's always this pressure for me to like find the perfect time to have that first kiss 
you know, oh. and like there's there's the fairy tale, you know, like you just know when that moment is right, you know, and so I think that that's the argument is that that when you're looking for that first kiss, like it should just just feel right and that moment should be there. And somebody like that might feel that asking for the kiss the way that you presented is taking away from that romanticism and sexiness. What do you think? Yeah, see, for me, I have been in spaces where people have assumed things from my silence that I didn't want. Mm -hmm. um, and like, it, it's really uncomfortable. It, yes, it's it's wonderful when you're you're both feeling it, but like, you know, some people don't even know that they're actually on a date. Like, mm. you know, like I, I've had things where like I've, I've been in a car with somebody and like thought that I was, you know, doing a solid, giving them a ride to something and they thought they were on a date. And so like, you know, my like willingness to talk about anything they were interpreting as flirting. Whereas I'm just kind of like, oh, okay, we're having like an interesting conversation. Sure, we're talking about our sex lives, but it doesn't feel sexual to me at all. Um, mm -hmm. But this person is like, oh, this person's giving me signals. And like, so it, I, I appreciate the clarity. I always right. appreciate right. the clarity. Like, I think that somebody going like, hey, I'm into you. This is a little scary, but like, I want to make sure that like, you know, you know what we're doing and, and I know what we're doing. Let's get on the same page. That's always really reassuring to me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, and so I, I would always, yeah, I would always err on the side of making it blunt, um, yes. rather than kind of having that like, oh, I don't know if that was actually a really good thing for me to do because I've, I've done that, I've been there on both sides, and it sucks. Yep. <laughs> so like to leave a situation, and go like, oh, I don't, I don't actually really feel very good about that. Like I, I would always rather now really be blunt, have my feelings like you know completely slammed if I'm like on the on the wrong mm -hmm. page. <laughs> Right. And then, like, not hurt somebody. Yeah, I, I think it's like uh, uh, changing the conversation. Like I, like I said, you know, growing up with all this romantic yeah. ideas, it's just changing the conversation and saying, no, actually, you know, let's not have that expectation, right? Yeah. Let's not pretend like it's all fairy tales and roses and all that, right? And let's it's actually... Hollywood. It's Hollywood. It's not Hollywood. It's not Hollywood. It's not like watching. You know, like, well, yes, yes, yes. Like that's the influence. Yeah, exactly. But like real life is not Hollywood. No, it's not. But but we watch all these movies and we're like, oh, they, you know, the swelling music tells us that we're that they're both interested in each other, and the the lingering gaze of the camera lets them know that they're all into each other. And it's like, well, actually, I don't have that in my daily life. <laughs> and I'm, someone's I'm, going I'm, up and works. That's not how any of this works. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's not how I have the swelling music in my head, but I'm the yeah. only one that has it. Yeah, exactly. Like I, 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 you know, somebody like watching me is, is stalking me. Like I don't like that. That makes me feel really uncomfortable. If they're showing up at the cafe that I'm at every day and staring at me longingly, I'm like, ooh, this is not, this yeah. is not actually as cool as you think it is. <laughs> in Hollywood, it works. In real life, it's just creepy. Yeah. Well, I, love I don't it. know if you remember, there was that guy who, like, you know, was on the, at, at his girlfriend's dorm and was, like, playing piano until she took him back a few years ago. And everybody's like, no, no, don't do this. That's not okay. <laughs> yeah, he, like, dragged this piano out into this, like, into the field in front of her dorm and was just, like, playing piano <laughs> for days. And it's like, that's for coercive. And coercion is not sexy. <laughs> I'm sorry. I took it too far. Yeah, definitely <laughs> took it too far.
definitely took that too far. Um, wow. Okay. So this is great. Okay. Coercion is not the same as consent. Let's dive into that. Yeah. Give me more on that. Yeah. Well, you know, I think when, when somebody wants something so much, um, it's so easy to go, oh, well, if I can just get this person to be in this in the same mindset as, as I am, then it'll all work out perfectly. Um, but that's not actually giving somebody what uh, all of the information that they need to, to make their own choices. <laughs> And it mm -hmm. feels really icky. Like it yeah. feels really icky on both sides because another person is actually getting what they need. And, and one of the, the things that I really like to stress in my workshops is the biggest gift that you can give somebody is to reject them. Because you're saying, I can't give you what you need, but you deserve what you need. So you need to look elsewhere to get your needs met. And so that's, you know, it, it feels scary to, to say no sometimes. But mm -hmm. if you can word it that way, like it's it's almost always like really freeing for the person because it's like, I want you to be happy. I just can't give you what you're looking for. And right. so I'm, I'm freeing you to, to, you know, look anywhere else in the world to get that need met. It's just, it can't be with me right now, but you, but you should deserve that because you want to find somebody who gels with you, who, who gets that. Totally. And like, yeah, it, when, so people, when people actually get to that point where they can find that person, it's like, Oh, excellent. Like, there was a, a, a guy who used to be, uh, who I've been friends with for a long time, who had a crush on me. Um, and eventually, like, we kissed once, and I was like, oh, this is not going to work. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. it's just, I'm not feeling this attraction. And I'm sorry, you need to, like, I am not your soulmate. Um, and the next person that he started dating, he ended up marrying. And I'm like, cool, see that? That's your soulmate. <laughs> <laughs> that works out. You're good. Yeah, yeah, you deserve to be happy. It's just I'm not the one who's going to make you happy. And if I, like, you know, pretended that I was that person for him and, I like, I forced mm -hmm. myself to be that person, like, neither of us would have ended up actually happy. All right, I love it. So while we're on the subject of uh, of consent, because I love this, I love where we're at with this, um, and one of the things that you mentioned was your friend that you at, at one point kissed, and yeah. you were immediately like, yep, yeah, nope, I'm not feeling this something that happens a lot of times is consent is given, but then there's that trouble that we have in taking consent back. Maybe at one point mm -hmm. we had a friend with benefits and, you know, we were having sex casually, you know, whenever, and then something happens where we're like, you know what, maybe we're not so comfortable with that, that anymore, but that expectation is there. So yeah. there's a fear that you mentioned in saying no. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about how, we can become empowered in ourselves to be able to, to advocate for ourselves and mm. take a stand when we when we need to say no. Mm. Well, I like to flip it um, in my own head and think if I was honest with this person right now um, about what's really going on inside of me, how would they feel? Because if I if I was if I'm in a, in a space and I'm kissing somebody and I'm not into them, if I was actually going to be honest with that person and be like oh, I really don't want to do this, but I'm just doing this because I feel like you really need this kiss right now. And I'm gonna like keep on doing this because I'm uncomfortable with my boundaries. And I don't know, like this, that that person would not be wanting to kiss me, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I, I hope if, if somebody was still into that, I'm like, oh, that's really not my game. <laughs> <laughs> really not my game. Um, it's worse. But it's so much worse. Much worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And so that kind of like, it, I'm like, if they could read my mind right now, they would not want to be in this situation with me. And so I need to be honest because mm. they don't know what's actually happening. And and like, I'm probably not going to be like, hey, I'm disgusted right now, but I'm going to be like, hey, this isn't actually working for me. Like, it, this is scary for me to tell you. Like, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I also don't want you to, us to be in something where neither of us is getting our needs met. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stop right now because I'm just not feeling it right now. And like something, it's it's important to, for me to kind of differentiate in myself if something is a hard boundary or a soft boundary. Because mm-hmm. um, like a soft boundary is something that can change if something changes. Um, like you know, like a soft boundary might be like I don't want that kind of kiss right now. Um, mm-hmm. But if you lead me up to it, that might change. Um, whereas okay. a hard boundary might be is something that you know you just don't want full stop it doesn't even matter what conditions are there like that's just like a no a hard no um and so like if something is a soft boundary i might be like hey like this isn't working for me right now you know we can talk about what might need to change in order for us to explore this um but like if it's a hard boundary it's just like hey this is not gonna work (laughs) and i'm telling you that because i trust you because i i care about you and because i want you to get what you what you need and, yep. and I want me to get what I need because I care about both of us. Yes, absolutely. I love it. I love it. All right. I'm going to switch gears a little bit here um, because I definitely wanted to touch on these things. Uh, there are a couple of folks uh, that you mentioned maybe don't get as much representation in our community. So the first mm-hmm. thing I wanted to jump into was uh, folks that are asexual, ace. Yeah. What what is it that you want to say to our ace community? Uh, I think a lot of people have this idea that polyamory is all about sex. And so if you're asexual, you can't be polyamorous. And that's just not true. Like, I think mm-hmm. that, you know, it, it's entirely possible for ace people to feel love. Um, oh, yeah. You, and it, just because, like, people, yeah, exactly. Just, just because people are asexual doesn't mean that they're not polyamorous. Um, and so, like, it's it, if anything asexual people have more ability to be polyamorous because they can be with so many people and love so many people and not have to worry about like oh okay like are my needs getting met sexually no they don't need to be <laughs> like right, that's totally right. fine um so yeah i just wanted to kind of give it a shout out to to ace people because like there's nothing wrong with you um and you're allowed to be poly and and like we love you too <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm just curious, what is it uh, that makes you want to speak to that community specifically? Was there something that's that happened recently, something that you've seen in the media? What is it that made you want to speak to that com- that part of our community? Honestly, it's, whenever I see anything about people being like, oh, this these people can't be this, it's always really hard for me. Um, and, and I think that that's why, like, I really called Spectra Counseling for Nonconformists because like, I think there's so much stigma around people's identities and, and so much judgment around people's identities. And so it's so like, it, it, there's, there wasn't anything specific recently. Like I, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess I subscribe to a lot of different pages on, on Facebook and like mm-hmm. every so often, like, you know, the ACE arrows and NBs pages, like, Hey, like, you know, it's okay for you to be non-binary and androgynous and, um, and like, it's okay for you to be asexual and all these things. And I'm like, yes, yes, it is. Like, shout out to you people. You guys are great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because I think that like, we just need to send love to, to, to more folk everywhere. Like, totally. I, yeah. I, I think that there's so much sadness that happens when people feel alone. Um, 
when people mm. feel like they're unique and not in a good way because they haven't found anybody else that they can relate to. And so um, it's just, yeah, it's important to me to make people feel like, hey, you're part of a community, you belong, and we all love you. <laughs> totally, totally. I love it. And you, when you say unique like that, it's like this loneliness of feeling like you're the only one with XYZ type of type of problem, type of issue, whatever yeah. it is. Um, yeah. It was part of the inspiration behind this podcast is like, if I can talk to enough people, there's going to be more and more people that see themselves in the people that we talk to. Um, yeah. And that goes to, you know, um, the trying to build the, the diversity, right? Trying to get as much representation as we have here uh, as possible. Um, I wanted to ask you also, I'm sorry, I kind of backtracked a little bit. I wanted to ask you though, uh, about your master's thesis, about this yeah. polyamorous uh, parents. Uh, what was what was the the basis? What, what were you writing about? What is it that you were studying exactly? Um, so I was, I was getting my, my master's in counseling and, and psychotherapy. Um, and I knew that there wasn't a lot of research into polyamorous parenting. And so, mm -hmm. I mean, I did a, I did a qualitative, um, research thesis. Um, so I, I spoke to people, uh, about their experiences and what came up, um, I had, I had two participants that had really, really different experiences. Um, cause one, uh, was polyamorous and when she, uh, when she had her uh, her child, she was part of kind of a community, but um, the father didn't really decide to be involved with uh, with raising the kid, and so she like kind of raised her kid with her friends, mm -hmm. um, and it worked. You know, like she she raised her kids with uh, she like her friends she who she lived like like she trusted them, and they would uh, look out for her and look out for her kid, and and like so her kid felt like he had a bunch of parents <laughs> right? and that was really cool. Um, but then on the other side, the, per, uh, the person that I talked to, um, she had, um, she, she and her, uh, her husband at the time had had this kid and they had been polyamorous throughout the relationship, uh, but they got divorced. And when he started dating someone new, that new person um, decided that they were monogamous and uh, used uh, her polyamory against her to try to take her kid from her because, and there's no mm. rights. Um, and, right, and right. like, especially in Australia, there's no legal, uh, rights for polyamory. Yeah. Um, and so she really had to hide who she was, um, to put on this facade of like, you know, mon uh, hetero monogamism to kind of convince the courts that she was, um, a decent parent. And it, it, actually the data shows that like, kids in polyamorous uh, structures are just as happy, if not happier than, mm -hmm. um, than, than kids uh, that are in um, a more monogamous uh, structured, uh, you know, nuclear family. Right. Um, and so it's, it's just, it's so problematic uh, that our, our legal system doesn't support these things because there's still this bias that, um, you know, polyamory equals promiscuity and promiscuity is somehow immoral and, um, you know, it, it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's a really big problem. And so I, I really kind of wanted to highlight like that the polyamorous part wasn't the problem for these people. Um, the, the way society wasn't supporting them was, um, I totally, yeah, totally agree with that. We were, we're lucky, you know, um, 
there's like some small movement that I'm seeing. There's uh, I forgot the name of the community out in Massachusetts. Uh, it's escaping my mind right now, but uh, there is a city that has started to implement some of these protections uh, mm-hmm. that we're talking about recognizing polyamory as, as an option. So that's pretty cool. Um, one of the things that stood out to me as you were telling the story of these, of these two people that you were, that you were working with or studying uh, one of them raise their children with a bunch of friends. Yeah. And so I'm assuming that when we say that, that there's no sexual connection, right? And it- Sometimes sexual connection. Like maybe? she was very okay. relationship anarchist. Um, okay. Like, so you know, like she like would occasionally have sexual experiences with some of those friends, but like for the most part, she considered them friends. Right. Right. But like, yeah, that was, but that was the way that she, um, she identified was like, you know, they're my friends, but then occasionally they would have like orgies together. <laughs> so it's, it's really, okay, cool. So, but okay. All right. So that kind of changed where, where I was going with it a little bit. I was thinking, you know, like, like when we have, you know, friends, quote unquote, that it would be, you know, oh, that's totally fine. You know, you, you have somebody who winds up a single parent and, you know, some of their friends move in and they all become the parents. Like, that's totally fine. But the moment that you throw sex into the mix, right, all of a sudden that's where where the hangups begin. Yeah. Um, in the other example that you were talking about, we have, you know, two people who get divorced. Typically, that's, you know, no problem. But all of a sudden, you know, this other person if they were dating just monogamously, that'd be whatever. But because they choose to be polyamorous, all of a sudden that becomes like this big, you know, holy crap, what's going on. So it's, it's just uh, kind of the, the, the stigma, I guess, around sex negativity. What do you think? Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Um, And, and just, I mean, that, that person was trying to use whatever he could to, uh, to hurt, um, and to, to hurt the person that I was interviewing and, and to like to gain control of their kids. And that was the easiest way for, for yeah. him to was just to, to kind of push this angle of like, Oh, well she's doing this really immoral thing. And it's like, well, you were participating in this for years. Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, all right. Well, hopefully we'll start to see more, more of these changes come up. Um, you know, hopefully we keep working towards more of these protections, normalizing, Part yeah. of the work that we're all all doing here. Uh, last thing I want to ask you before uh, before we start to close out. Relationship anarchists. That yes. was another person, another thing that you just mentioned right now that uh, that the, the the one study that you were talking with, uh, she was a relationship anarchist, and um, want to touch on that that community, that part of our community. Yeah, well, some people, some relationship anarchists consider themselves part of the polyamorous community. Some of them don't, um, because there's, oh, it's possible okay. to be uh, to be monogamous and relationship anarchist. Like, like some people okay. who are relationship anarchists decide to be in a monogamous relationship, um, but that's but they consider themselves relationship anarchists because they are choosing that deliberately in their smorgasbord of uh, of options of anarchy. Mm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's I guess. I, I see it as just you're you're choosing different ways to love, and so as long as it's all consensual, it's it's part of the the broad spectrum of of non monogamy, and I think polyamory supports that because if you want to love more than one person, there's that option. Um, so, you know, relationship anarchist folks, I think I think you're part of the umbrella. 
<laughs> you if know, they're welcome if they, here. If they want to be. If they yeah. want to be. <laughs> yeah. The, the umbrella cool. is open for you here if you're feeling a little wet outside. <laughs> Nice. Nice. I like it. <laughs> uh, Jenna, it's been so much fun getting to know you, getting to chat with you. Uh, I want to give you an opportunity to uh, let people know. Uh, I know you did mention that you're a little booked. So it's uh, you've got a little bit of a waiting list, but uh, you do have the workshops that you're doing. So if somebody wants to get in touch with you, find out more about uh, the workshops or anything else that you've got going on, what's the best way for people to follow you and, and learn more about you? The best way is to like the Facebook page. Um, yeah, facebook.com slash lecture counseling. And that's where I throw up links to um, to the workshops that I, that I run. I, I put them on Eventbrite. I put them on online. So people can, from America can actually go and see, uh, see us. Um, there's also for America, I, I, uh, if you're looking for a polyamorous therapist, there's the, um, uh, kink aware professionals. Like I think it's cap. Um, mm -hmm. and a lot of those folk um, tend to be polyamorous supportive as well. Um, I specifically in my practice tend to focus on emotionally focused therapy. Um, and that's a really useful thing for, uh, secure attachment. Um, and secure attachment is completely possible in polyamorous relationships, as Jessica Fern has been talking about in her book, Polysecure, which came out last year. And I want to plug that because it's the best book that I've read on <laughs> attachment theory and polyamory and trauma. And yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. So uh, just ask your ask your uh, professional what they know about polyamory and, and hopefully they give a uh, positive response before deciding to go and see them. <laughs> All right. Right. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you again, Jenna, so much for uh, spending some time with me, for hanging out, and uh, for giving us this wealth of knowledge. I really feel like we did. We got into some good stuff, especially around consent. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks so much, James. It's lovely to meet you. Thanks. Thanks. All right. Uh, and that's it. Thank you, as always, for uh, to our live audience for tuning in today. As a reminder, when we're live, you get no commercial interruptions, but the same can't be said for the podcast download. So, if you want to avoid the commercial interruptions, be sure to catch us live Monday through Wednesday, 2.30 specific time, or sign up for our Patreon, where you'll get access to our commercial-free RSS feed and support the show. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, wherever it is that you download your podcast if you haven't already, and please leave us a review. We'll really appreciate it. All right, everybody, that is all we've got for you all today. Thank you once again to you, Jenna, and for everybody else, until next time. Have a nice day! Thank you for tuning in to the Practicing Polyamory podcast. Would you or someone in your polycule like to be a guest? Sign up at practicingpolyamory.com and join the conversation. Please support us by subscribing, liking, and following us on social media at Practicing Polya by clicking any of the affiliate links on our website or by subscribing at patreon.com slash practicingpolya.